Hello, this is Dr. Patrick Porter, and welcome back to the BrainTap Business Journal podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, someone I've known about online, read about articles she's done, looked into her books and everything she's doing out there, but I got to meet her at A4M. It was incredible. She had a long line. She was just introducing her book, which we're going to be talking about, and her book is called Unexpected, but she's the Sherlock Holmes of medicine. At least that's what people are calling her. So, Dr. Jill... Tell us a little bit about yourself. What got you into being a medical doctor and what took you off? I mean, this isn't normal, right? Most MDs, especially before what happened in 2020, weren't even looking into this kind of stuff. They kind of turned a blind eye toward this. It was almost like it's all in the patient's head, but you deal with things like mold toxicity and EMF disorders, all these kind of things. So tell us a little bit about what first got you motivated to be in the medical world and then you took this about face and said, hey, we're not just going to be about medicine. We're going to be about wellness, not just critical care, I mean, but about, hey, keeping holistic care going. So tell us a little bit about it. You got it. You know, I grew up on a farm in central Illinois. So a physician was the last thing on my mind growing up. I did not even, I, I'm the first in my family for all generations, not only first physician, but first woman physician. So it wasn't really on the radar, but here's the deal. I was born a healer and I started to learn that as a young child, I had a very intuitive, empathetic sense of people. And I could, I really loved my true love is getting to know people and really understanding be, human behavior. And so I always wanted to know, and then it kind of led to really like when you have the empathetic self, you can feel people and when they're in pain and suffering. And I just wanted to relieve suffering. And I first went, um, my heart was more of a naturopathic heart. I grew up again on a farm. We had like lots of organic produce. My mom was a nurse. So very open-minded into other um, things for healing. And it wasn't that we didn't go to the doctor. We had regular, normal medical care, but it was just, if we got a cold or flu or something, the first line wasn't to run to the doctor. It was to look at food, look at medicine, you know, things that we could do naturally. And a lot of times we'd get well before we even needed to see the physician. So I grew up with that culture and also a culture of work hard, you know, kind of a farm kind of a mentality. And as I got through um, my undergraduate degree in bioengineering, I went to apply to um, professional training and I looked at uh, chiropractic and acupuncture and all these other paths that were more aligned with who I was. And I also was like, well, why not apply to medical school? And as I started getting acceptance letters, I thought, you know what? why not go into medicine? And right now, you know, in the US, the allopathic medicine is the best reimbursed system. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's the, the main model that we use with insurance-based type of medicine. And if you have a heart attack or you have a trauma, an accident, the very best place you want to go is to a trauma center or a medical center because they're wonderful with acute care. I mean, the best thing in the world, if something bad happens, like a heart attack, however, we're not so good with uh, chronic complex diseases like autoimmunity, like um, obesity, lifestyle diseases, metabolic disease, diabetes, and these things don't just get cured with a drug. It may mitigate symptoms, but what we realize is that surgery and drugs are not the best treatment for complex chronic conditions. So bottom line is I went to medical school um, because I thought it was the best chance to really learn the system. And I always joke now I kind of infiltrated because I definitely had a different mindset. Again, I like both and there's not like an exclusion of wonderful, good medicine. It's just that my toolbox now is a lot bigger. So I went into that. And then during my medical training, I looked for other alternatives. Um, and we, I was actually in Loyola Medical School, and I was the first medical student to bring in an integrative medical club and interest groups. We brought in chiropractic and acupuncture, massage therapy to actually get into the, um, 
the faculty, as far as teaching us medical students, what else was available. So I've kind of been always on the cutting edge and really the core is taking both and, and not excluding back in the, you know, eighties and nineties, when I was doing training and, and education, it was very much a alternative. And I hated that word because why not bring both together and take the both of best, the best of both worlds to really help people to heal. Right. I know that you went from the farm. Now you go to the laboratory, right? You're yeah. you're you're taking these complex illnesses. You're figuring them out. You're using state of the art equipment and lab tests. And tell us a little bit about how you went from you know this to this to what we have now. We didn't have this kind of technology even when you, I'm sure when you went through medical yeah. school that is so available. So tell us about some of the cases. I, I mean, we talked a lot about mold and different things like limes and things like that. But tell us a little bit about some of the cases you help and maybe share with with people on the call like how did you discover what lab tests work because there's like we just talked to a company there's five thousand different lab tests you could take yeah. So. yeah nowadays there's so much we can do and it wasn't that when we first started and i'm going to frame this with a tiny bit of my story because i think it gives the the why of why i do what i do 25 years old 30 year medical student i was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer and for those practitioners who you know this uh, others who maybe don't know when a woman in their 50s 60s 70s is diagnosed with breast cancer it's serious and it can be life threatening but it's a much slower growing less life threatening because it's a usually a slower growing type of tumor in women in their 20s and 30s it's incredibly aggressive i was with a group of 10 women under 40 in Chicago when I was diagnosed and I was, I'm the only one still living. So that shows you how deadly it is. So I was up against the battle of my life and it was literally all of a sudden I had to put into practice what I believed. And I did all the conventional. I did three drug chemotherapy, maximum doses before my heart would stop beating. I mean, really aggressive. I had multiple surgeries and I did radiation. So I did everything, lost all my hair, got really weak and sick. But then what I did in addition was prayer, meditation, lifestyle. Um, I, I really cleaned up my diet. I took supplements and I did kind of the both and, and I feel like the healing from the treatment was the best of integrative therapies because a lot of those things as toxic drugs, they saved my life. I have no regrets, but the last 20 years, what I've really been doing is like healing my gut from the inside out. And back to your original question on testing and what do we have to offer now? A perfect example was six months after chemo radiation finished and I was done with breast cancer. I had been cured. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I woke up, um, middle of the night, I had an abscess. I fainted in the ER and I ended up um, with a surgeon overnight, emergency surgery for an abscess. And the next day, as I'm waking up from the anesthesia, he says, Jill, you have Crohn's disease. So shortly after that, I got you know introduced to autoimmunity in the gut. And all this to say, at that moment, I remember asking my gastroenterologist, does diet have anything to do with this? And he didn't pause. He just said, no, Jill, diet has nothing to do with this. And in my heart and mind, I thought that can't be true. This is the gut, right? And what I was going to say with evidence and what's changed is 20 years ago, there was not a lot of literature on leaky gut, intestinal permeability, and that contributing factor to autoimmunity, to Crohn's, to colitis, and also on foods, things like the low carbohydrate diet or specific carbohydrate diet or celiac disease or those kinds of things, those triggers gluten that can affect Crohn's or colitis or autoimmunity. Now, as I wrote my book, I can actually quote studies in the last 20 years that describe specifically hyperpermeability in the instigation of autoimmunity. So it's now very clearly connected, but 20 years ago, we didn't know that. And my doctor didn't know that. And that's really how things have changed and why your first question was, how has testing changed? We now have massive amounts of ability to test for intestinal permeability, for pancreatic insufficiency, for things like stool test and for microbial inhabitants. We now have DNA PCR on almost any test you could, 
you could want so that you can get specific strains where there's probes of the types of microbes that are in the gut. So we have a huge array from environmental toxins to mold and mycotoxins to metal, uh, metabolic markers like organic acids to stool testing with PCR and many, many other things as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I also want our doctors to really peek their ears because you're someone who sustains a five plus year waiting list. I can't tell you how many doctors I talk to that are in the natural medicine world. And that's really what you're doing. You're kind of, I mean, I'm sure your other MDs back 10, 20 years ago were looking at you like a third eye or something, you know, doing nutritional consultations and things. But Tell us a little bit. I mean, a lot of people look at this and say, there's no money in this. Like you said in the very beginning, you know, allopathy, we can build insurance, we can do all these procedures and codes. This is mostly like a cash-based part of business, you know, working with people. And you find that you still have a five plus year waiting list. So tell us about how that played into you releasing this new book called Unexpected, because we're all, you know, we're all finding we're in a place we didn't think we'd be. You know, nobody thought they were going to be where we are right now, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. So the first thing is you're absolutely right. Back in 2003, when I graduated from medical school, many of my colleagues thought I was crazy. I mean, they were friends. They loved me, but they were like, oh, Jill's way out there. Right. And I wasn't even doing anything really weird. I was just talking to chiropractors and massage therapists and naturopaths. I wasn't even, um, but the bottom line is now what's so interesting, Dr. Porter is literally every day I get calls from doctors that have been either they themselves have been diagnosed with a new autoimmune disease. They have MS or they have a seizure disorder, or they have some weird thing that no one can explain. And they have reached the limit of their education. And now my colleagues from medical school, literally often I will get calls, whereas they kind of thought, oh, Jill's on the fringe. They'll call and say, my daughter has this, my son has this. my." And what's happening is they're realizing the limit of what we were educated in. There's some great things about conventional medicine. Like I said, stroke, heart attack, car accident, you want to be in a major medical center, but if you get diagnosed with lupus or MS, there's drugs that can mitigate the progression of disease, but there is not necessarily a cure with a drug or surgery-based therapy. Whereas if we look at the body as a systemic biology, systems biology approach, where we're looking at metabolic processes and we're looking at trajectories and timelines. It's not like one day you wake up on a Wednesday and you're diabetic. You were walking towards that in the years preceding your diagnosis. So with functional medicine, any of your listeners know this, if they're in this realm, you're always looking at that trajectory. And so there's always ways to walk backwards and to either reverse the irreversible, like in my case, Crohn's disease, I no longer have it. And I was told 20 years ago by the doctor, this is irreversible. That's just not true. Um, It's really only that we don't have a drug to treat the condition, right? That we consider these things irreversible. They're not, they're actually, I've seen multiple cases. I call it reversible autoimmune reversible autoimmunity now, because there's multiple cases of that happening in my own clinic. And then as far as what do we people do, people are struggling, whether it's financially or what, here's the deal. I, um, I'll tell you my brief story business-wise, because this will help the practitioners. I came straight out of residency, went to the CEO of the hospital where I worked and said, Hey, you're competing with three hospitals in the area. This was in Illinois. You want something different? Hire me as your medical director. I'll do integrative medicine. We'll do something different. So he bit, he took that on and they built me a new medical center. I came on as a medical director and actually literally from the ground up sat with architects and wanted to design, this is number one, design a center where people felt different from the clinical environment, where they felt loved. There was original artwork. It was warm. It was welcoming. There was color. There was, and that created this wonderful healing place, but it was still done in a model, a hospital system where beds, number of beds filled were the most important data point. And I was trying to keep people out of the hospital. And they also still had a productivity wheel, like the hamster wheel that many of your docs are probably feeling they're on where you have to see so many patients in a certain amount of time. 
And that was really disillusioning because there was no way to practice this new type of medicine where you needed more time to get to know the patient 60, 90 minutes. And then the workload of the charting, you couldn't do it. It was just killing to the soul and the spirit because it was 60, 80, 120 hour weeks. So I realized that after several years and I moved out to Colorado to start my own practice. Now here's the pearls. Number one, low overhead. You don't need a beautiful, I had a multi-million dollar building they built for me and they had two MAs, two RNs and a administrative um, person. That's way, way too much overhead for me to produce. I was on the wheel, right? So if you're just starting a practice or you're in a practice, the number one thing I could tell you from my experiences go low. I started in one room, sharing a room with one doc and one person to answer phones. That's it. No medical assistant, no nurse. I did all the intake. And by keeping that overhead low, I was able to grow at a rate that I never went into debt. And that was the number one thing I learned when I moved to Colorado and started a functional consulting practice. Number two, we are afraid to charge for our services. That seems like, oh, we went into medicine. We want to bill and you can bill insurance but it's going to be difficult and there's going to be a lot of administrative burden. And I admire those of you who found a way to make it work. Great. I have decided I work for the patient, not the insurance company. And that taking that middleman out allows me to be so free with what I do for the patient. There's no one else telling me what I can or can't do. I'm just literally what is in the best interest of this person in front of me. And it frees me. And because of that, I do charge cash prices, but over the time, and you have to value yourself too. If you're a practitioner listening I know I put 120% into every single visit and I know the value that I give the patient versus the price way outweighs the charge on their credit card or whatever, you know, the charge that I charge. And so you have to, and it took me a long time to realize this, but you have to value what you're giving. And of course you give 110% or 120% and that's important, but that putting that value in there and it's not a expense, it's a value. And as you start to own that, that energy will uh, permeate your practice and patients will value you as well. And then the third thing is um, you can get ancillaries, whether you get subleases in your clinic. I have a chiropractor, a massage therapist, two nutritionists, a naturopath. And again, they uh, run their own business. You can do other models, but that's really, really helpful to add services, or maybe you do IVs, or maybe you do um, nutritional supplements, because that way you're freed up to really be with the patient and have other things that are ways of revenue generation in your practice. And the last thing I think I said before, the other one was most important, but this might be the most important. Give of yourself your knowledge freely. I started by talking to grocery stores, health food stores, gyms, um, fitness centers in the area for free. And that's how I started the trickle of patients. And then I began writing and I literally put out a weekly blog uh, for 12 years now. And I put out just great, I was reading my journals and then I write an article about it and put it out there. So one of the things that's helped me establish this was just being known as a leader in just good science. And there's a lot of stuff out there that's fluff, doesn't really have good um, references. And I always wanted to, from the very beginning, when I started, make sure that even if I was pushing the envelope on treatments or things that I was seeing or hearing in medicine, always referencing um, with good articles so that it could be at that level of high science, because I wanted to bring legitimacy to our world because there is a lot of science. It's just, we have to continue bringing that. So being a, um, person who's educating the public also helped to bring that practice in and bring patients. Wow, sage advice. If you want to have a five plus year waiting practice, then uh, 
tune in. Um, and you can also catch your, we're going to talk about our social media posts and things where you can be, we'll have it in the notes of this podcast. So you can follow her, find out what she's doing, but you, you went through a lot, right? You had your own traumas, you had your own healing, your own recovery. You, you started personal development, self-help, and this all went into your book that yeah. we're here to talk about a little bit. So now as we talk about unexpected, tell me how those how that how that crossroads happened and and how you you feel that's going to help the reader yeah so first of all um it was like eight years ago that i was in a kind of a meditation i had a six week six week time i set aside i was working but i had very specific time for prayer and meditation and during that time i felt the divine just literally saying jill you need to write your story and at that time i'd been through cancer and crohn's and um I don't think I'd even been through mold related illness or divorce or some of the other things, but I, on my heart at that moment, I literally was like, who am I? I don't know what I'm doing. I can't really like the things we do. And I was arguing with the divine. I was like, we can't do this. And I remember so clearly in my heart, it was just like, all you have to do is tell your story. Don't worry about the resources, the time, the money, the people you need. All you have to do, all your job is, is to tell your story. And as soon as I just thought about that and integrated it, it was like, oh, I can tell my story. And if you're listening out there, you can tell your story and you're the best person in the world. You're the expert on you. And when you tell your story, what I realized in this book is I'm telling my story and I'll tell you how it transitioned to what it actually became. First of all, you're the expert on your life and your story is your story. It's yours and you get to tell it how you want and, and help the lessons you learned. But second of all, it's not really about me. When you read this book, what I hope more than anything is that the reader or the listener or you out there, if you take a look at this book, you actually see reflections of your own journey in my story. And what I want it to be is an encouragement because so many people get stuck in suffering or illness or difficulty. And God knows we've had a lot of it the last two years for many people. They're suffering in so many ways. I mean, epidemics of illness and loss and jobs and isolation and you name it. It's been like really difficult. So as you read my story, my only hope is that you are encouraged and inspired in your journey. And it really is about you. What I want is that you as a reader are reflected in what I've gone through and that you can just take little bits and pieces to encourage you on your journey. And granted what happened then after I got that insight to write my book, it was seven or eight years. And I went through severe mold toxicity, divorce, very difficult, traumatic relationships. And I realized as I was sitting down to really write the book a few years ago, I wanted to deal with environmental toxicity. That's my platform. But the deeper level is emotional toxicity, old childhood trauma that we haven't healed. And again, you and the, your work have been on the forefront of this, Dr. Porter, as well. But dealing with that trauma, dealing with the nervous system, dealing with uh, relational toxicity, dealing with poor boundaries. And I had all that as well, because after my divorce, which basically kind of rocked my identity, I'd been married for almost 20 years. And out of the blue, literally my husband, I could have told you the day before I had the best marriage in the world. He walked in one day and said, Jill, I don't love you anymore. I want to be with someone else. And at that moment, my world fell apart. And that falling apart was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because what it did is it forced me to go deep and say, who am I? Who am I without my spouse who I thought I'd be married to forever? Who am I um, with, you know, that? And, and I had to deal with that trauma. And now I say my ex-husband and I are actually good friends. He helped produce the movie I just did with the documentary. And all that to say that difficulty, that trauma for both of us, 
it's almost like we were two children that hadn't dealt with our traumas, right? And that caused us to totally, it shook apart our world and caused us to go deep and deal with that. And now I call that another level of toxicity. So on all levels, and again, the reader can follow my own journey and my own mistakes and the things that I learned, because really at the core, we need to find out um, how do we love ourselves unconditionally? Because that is the foundation of all healing and autoimmunity in general, metaphorically is self-hatred, self-loathing. There's such hack of self. And you can read Gabor Mate or Peter Levine or any of the trauma work, some of the experts out there and realize as we love ourselves unconditionally, our cells, our immune system actually starts to heal in a different way. And in that same realm, we need to be able to trust our own intuition, like trust that if someone says, for example, um, patient comes in and says, doc, I'm not feeling well. You look at the, the doc looks at the lab and says, everything looks normal. You're fine. You must need an antidepressant. And that's only because the, the knowledge of the doctor is limited by what they're seeing. But the truth is that's gaslighting. And if that patient really trusts their intuition, um, they know there's something wrong and they have to keep going until they find someone who actually listens and believes. That's awesome. Yeah, we talk about uh, the three waves of wellness, but the fourth is spirituality, right? There's nutrition, there's getting the body to move and breathe, and I say brain fitness, and then there's the spiritual side of things. And you can you touch in on that. And a lot of people are a little scared of that. And being a medical doctor, you don't usually see them uh, poking their head in there and saying, hey, uh, let's do something about your spirituality. Tell us a little bit about your journey in spirituality and how you feel it plays a role in healing, how faith and spirituality does. Yeah, and you're right. It's terrifying to go into this category or even talk about it, but I feel like it's so important. And the title kind of says it all because it's unexpected finding resilience through science and faith. And in my mind, it's just like taking two dichotomous things where people don't see them together very often. It could be right brain, left brain, masculinity, femininity, um, you know, all these different words. And science and faith is one of those. And but at the core, we're human beings, we're we're so much more than just the analytical mind where this heart and this soul. And so the meaning and purpose that we find, and what I wanted to do is I know people are suffering. Even some of your listeners, they might be successful practitioners. We all have pain and suffering and you're lying to yourself. If you say you are, you're either coming out of something or headed towards something or in it right now. And it's all of us. I'm not unique. You're not unique. But the truth is, if we have a perspective that those suffering um, difficulties that we go through are teachers and they actually are there for our soul's journey to bring about a transformation and change in our life that really gives us a, a new level of healing, then we can take something that's really difficult and we don't ignore the difficulty. We don't ignore the pain or the suffering and we don't ignore the sadness. But what we can do is actually have a, a with neuro-linguistic programming, we know when we look for the good, when we have the gratitude, it changes perspective and changes what we see in it. So I do come from a Christian background and that's my faith base, but whatever you are listening, I have no judgment and I'm very open-minded. And the truth is um, that idea that there's a greater purpose or a greater power has transformed my life and it can transform yours too, because that purpose and meaning is maybe one of the most important things for health and healing. Having that, we know, you know, even after retirement, if people lose and they had this purpose in a job and they retire, if they don't find another purpose and meaning, um, they often die. We need that so badly. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating that where most doctors, you know, they kind of hide who they are and everybody thinks they're invincible. They're, they have Teflon, you know, nothing touches them, but you actually get down and you're really honest in this book. You tell the story. It's, it's kind of raw at times. So people find out about it, but how did, you know, when you're talking about mold toxicity, you just, I mean, just what you just shared, I mean, people who are facing these 
life-threatening problems and maybe not even life-threatening. A lot of them seem to just linger. You know, yeah. 20 years later, they're still dealing with the same thing. What do you feel is most important to, what do you think is the most important first step that someone who, like, what was your first step that said, hey, I've got to break out of this conventional mold and do something different? What was what was happening? So there's a piece inside of you that knows the direction and knows there's more, there's better. There's like, like for me, I have this like burning desire to be the best version of myself and I want transformation and it sometimes is the most painful thing in the world. If I would just stay in my little cocoon and not change and transform, it's comfortable, right? But when I think about science and faith, it's like science is the explanation of the logical events that we see and experience in life and, and the you know science behind that. Faith, another way to view that is just being comfortable or getting close or comfortable with the inevitable uncertainty of life. And that's the truth is whether we want to, we think, you know, like our insurance policy is going to protect us and our, you know, maybe our uh, fireproof safe in our house that contains all these things we put into our life because they protect us and give us a sense of security and control. Now it's nice. There's nothing wrong with insurance policies. There's nothing wrong with fireproof safe boxes or whatever else you can think of that gives us safety. But the truth is life is inherently uncertain every day that we breathe. We don't know if we have another breath and life also has, even medicine is uncertain. And we don't like to think about that uncertainty. We think that the science gives it a black and white view. I learned at 25 years old, when I was faced with a life-threatening diagnosis, all of a sudden, number one, life is uncertain. I may not have six weeks or six months or six years left. Number two, when I looked at the treatment options, I thought things were black and white. I thought breast cancer, 25-year-old, there's one treatment. There was a million options and none of them were black and white. They were all gray and all shades of gray. And I had a medical education and I still was confused and overwhelmed. And that taught me that, oh my goodness, there is nothing black and white about medicine at all. And we like to think there is, we deceive ourselves in thinking that, but this literally embracing the uncertainty, embracing the, to me, it's the delight and the surprise of life. It's the unexpected miracles that happen when we literally walk into the day, not knowing quite what we're going to expect, but being ready to be in that moment. And the other thing about it is we know with certainty in our hearts that we will have the divine assistance, the resources, the faith, the people that we need in real time. Even if we look ahead and we don't know how it's going to happen, it's literally that faith to know and believe that anything is possible. And you know what? It's literally that belief that starts to transform our reality. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, when you think about this new paradigm you're proposing, you know, in NLP, they call something reframing, right? So in my book, I have a chapter, how I was blessed to be the son of an alcoholic, because I had to reframe that I didn't want to be the alcoholic, I didn't want to live out his plan, his plan, I wanted my own. And so I kind of tell the story in my one of my first books about how because of my dad's example, luckily he got help. He wasn't an alcoholic that was, you know, still driving off the road and things like that, but he got help and, and showed it. And I could have rebelled. You know, I was a very negative kid, but I changed. So what do you tell somebody? I mean, when they're in the heat of the battle, I, I don't think they can take the reframing, but how do you get them to start looking at things differently? I, I typically tell people in, in my counseling when I was doing it was that this is where you're incubating your superpowers. I mean, every superhero had to go to the dark night of the soul and go through it. And then they emerge on the other side of these superpowers. What are you going to do with these superpowers when it's over? What's your kind of metaphor or how do you walk somebody through that? One way of reframing, and this I think is doable even in the midst of the deepest, darkest moment is where every day we're making choices, decisions, even our thoughts, our decisions of what direction to follow and go. Maybe the thought comes, but then we can follow it or not follow it. 
And there was something very simple um, that helped me. It's two things. First of all, fear and love are really opposites. May we think like hatred is the opposite of love, but it's really not. It's fear. And these are biological things that we can sense in our body. If we are um, in our body and we feel it, love is going to feel expansive. Love is going to feel good. Love is going to make you want to cry with joy and happiness. Love is going to make you like want to embrace your neighbor or friend or partner. Love feels expansive. Fear feels contractive. And even if you don't know, okay, this this decision, love or fear, you can check into your body and you can tell you might feel a constricted throat. You might feel tightness in your stomach. That's fear. And even if, again, even if you don't know, you listen to your body and check in and say, is this decision made out of love or fear? And really there's only two choices. And when you get down to that simplistic, that simplistic decision, it's not always easy because fear is governing a lot of us. But so often I've made a much better choice when I say, what is the loving choice, not the choice made out of fear. And it's often, again, like financially, I want to hire more physicians and do more things in this realm. And some of it's terrifying because I have to stretch myself and stretch this. But then on the other side is what's loving, what will help more people, what will allow more people to experience healing. And I always go back to that love versus fear. And if you don't know the right answer, check in with your body because your body can't lie. That's that's very true. I know when you wrote the book Unexpected, when reading it, there's a lot of great morsels, but there's three things that I want to ask you about, make sure we cover before we, we end this call today. Number one is you talk about the anti-inflammatory diet. Why is this important and, and why should the listeners care and why should our doctors start implementing some kind of program with anti-inflammatory processes? Yeah, so it's so funny because um, we want to do all these complex IVs and protocols and exosomes and you name it. There's some really PMF mats, EMF, you know, whatever kinds of things. There's a ton of great um, new stuff available, but real true healing starts with very, very simple. And I often just to remind you, clean air, clean water, clean food, super simple principles. They're hard to implement, but they're not difficult to understand. And it's literally, you can, you could skip all the supplements and start with these things, whether it's you or your patient, clean air, just getting air filtration, make sure you have air exchange. You get outside in nature, clean water, drinking spring water, mineral water, reverse osmosis, whatever filtration of water you have, try and avoid plastic water bottles and destroying the environment. And then clean food, which is what you're saying, anti-inflammatory diet, such a foundation. I remember when I first started integrative functional medicine and the first guy I put on a, a element, or sorry, elimination diet, this would be like no corn, no soy, no gluten, no processed foods, no sugar, no alcohol. He came back in 30 days, his joint pain was gone. His brain fog was gone. He was sleeping better. He'd lost 20 pounds. Like, and I literally looked at him because I was brand new and I'm like, really? Really? What did you do? And he's like, well, I did the elimination diet. You told me I'm like, oh, and it, my, my heart was like, oh my goodness, it works. You know, like I'm so excited <laughs> because you know, you hear this, you read it or whatever, but then like when you see it in real life, that's all I did. I didn't give him supplements. All I said is just change your diet. So an anti-inflammatory diet is going to be low processing, no processed foods and whole foods, real foods, and taking out the big ones that are likely causing inflammation and, and uh, allergies or sensitivities. And again, gluten, dairy, sugar are the big three. And then if you want to get crazy, you can add corn and soy and alcohol and sugar, sometimes peanuts. And again, the processing of food is a big part of that. Sure. They say that uh, uh, spirit's simple, but man is complex. Yes. So, you know, you, you make it too simple. Men don't understand it. Right. You know, so here we go. It's got to be more. It got to be. It's got to be something different than that. Right. But you also talk about trauma recovery. And a lot of people think of trauma recovery like 
going to the doctor, getting their legs set or getting their tonsils out or whatever's going on. You're talking about physical, emotional, and mental. These are usually not things we see with MD after the person's name talking about them. So tell us a little bit about what you feel is the physiological effect of these traumas. What, what's happening in the body that you're seeing that says, hey, we need to deal with these things or the trauma is not going to leave. Yes. So again, this was all part of my own journey because I thought I had healed. I thought I had all the answers and then the divorce shook my world apart and I had to go deep. And I realized I grew up in this, again, amazing, wonderful family, beautiful parents. I really had a great family. I don't mean to limit that, but the difficulty was I was in a group, they basically Swiss German bioengineering kind of mindset, very analytical. And I was this highly sensitive child. I felt like I didn't fit in. And what I did to survive was I took on the values of this, like work hard, don't complain, don't feel sadness or anger, suppress those kinds of things. And I, and I, on the outside, I was tough, a tough farm girl, right? And not a bad thing because it got me through a lot of difficult medical training. But the truth was inside my soul was this highly sensitive, artistic, creative little girl. And I suppressed a lot of that nature. And then in, in my forties, I had to re-engage that little five-year-old and say, sweetheart, you're beautiful. You're doing a great job. You can be a badass and a sensitive flower. Like, I love that because it's so freeing just trying to find your true nature and really engage that. And the trauma comes when we suppress pieces of ourselves and a lot of the parts work have been, you know, internal family systems. There's so many different um, ways to work on this. For me, it was actually loving my true authentic self and allowing that self to show up. That girl that was more sensitive, that felt like she wasn't tough enough and strong enough to be on the farm and uh, allowing her to show up and loving her unconditionally and allowing that to happen. And there's so many ways, again, a lot of the somatic based trauma therapies is where I'd suggest, and that could be anything from neuro-linguistic programming, EMDR, thought field therapy, um, brain spotting, um, and there's internal family systems. All these things are somatic behavioral therapies where you start to engage. I always say I used to live from the neck up in my analytical mind. It worked really well. So all of my resources and ability to deal with life was analytical. And what I did in that engaging the mind was I always could figure out a problem by just thinking through it. And in order to heal, I had to go back down into my body and check in. And I think so much of the cancer at 25, the Crohn's at 26 was literally because I was suppressing uh, my body. I was dissociating from pain, anger, sadness. And I had to kind of re-engage that in my forties and feel these emotions again and become a whole human being and spirit in order to heal that trauma. And you know what I saw, Dr. Porter, is my health, my immune system, the things in my body responded so much more to that trauma work than any sort of nutritional program I did in the previous decades. That's great. I mean, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about words changing 2,300 different gene expressions. So you want to do a little gene therapy, just start uh, start recovering those, those memories and things. So, But you're coming from a farm. This last question is kind of like a lot of people might think, is this a metaphor? Is there some reality to it? You're talking about knowing the roots of all issues. Explain that to me. And why is it so important that we start with the soil? Yeah. So it's funny because I used to say, I think I say this in the book, I used to say autoimmunity starts in the gut. And we know with a triad with the autoimmune, any autoimmune disease starts with genetics, environmental insults, could be gluten, could be toxins, could be things. And the gut immune interface is the third of the triad. So what happens on this little there's one cell layer between the gut lumen and the bloodstream. And so anything that happens, it's like what happens in Vegas, right? <laughs> kind of stays in Vegas, except in the <laughs> gut, it doesn't. Anything bad that happens with causing more permeability, those coatings of bacteria, the toxins in the gut, the things from the food that we eat can cross over into the bloodstream and create a immune response of cytokines that creates autoimmunity. 
And so all this to say, I used to always say autoimmunity starts in the gut, which I think is a truth, but I go a step further and say, no, I think it starts in the soils because what's happening is our soils are being depleted of nutrients. They're being poured with pesticides and herbicides and glyphosate. And each of these things are destroying the microbiome of the soil and our gut, our microbiome in our our guts are actually a reflection of what we eat. So if we have massively depleted nutrient um, poor soils that are losing topsoil and being completely um, ruined by the chemicals and we're ingesting those pesticides, those herbicides, it actually directly affects our microbiome and the diversity. And I see a complete direct correlation with the decreased diversity and quality of the soils and our own human microbiome. And what we now know is like, say glyphosate, for example, the company that made glyphosate said, this does not hurt human cells. But what they didn't talk about was how it destroys the microbiome. It preferentially decreases species like lactobacillus and allows clostridia to proliferate and other harmful organisms. So even though it's not affecting our cells at that level, it's affecting our microbiome. So I really believe that I'm not a big political activist, but more and more I'm realizing the importance of protecting our environment, saving our soils, because that's our link to true health is getting good nutrients from our soils, from the plants that we eat. And I'm sure you're getting a lot of AM, amens from the uh, rain tap nation because we talk about that all the time that you have to you have to subsidize because they've raped our soils and they've destroyed them and they're not doing the proper farming which which you know more than than most because you grew up there there's ways you do those things you don't just keep tilling the soil and things yeah. so your book unexpected is out now for pre-order right they can go to all the different landing page sites we're going to put some down there below so if you're wanting to get some really Good advice from what, what you just heard from Dr. Jill on mold toxicity, cancer, gut health, immune conditions, Lyme disease, and there's so much more we could talk about. I mean, you, you kind of lay it on the table, you lay it out, what they can do, how they can do it. What have I forgot to ask you about this exciting topic? And I think every person, they don't know these are hidden things, right? They don't even know they have them until it gets to a point where it's so bad you know, they can't get out of bed or they, and somebody's saying, you're just faking it or things like that. So tell us a little bit about how they can know if this is the right thing for them. I mean, I think every person on earth needs to know about these things, but let's tell me your advice. You got it. And I think the one thing I just think as you're, you're talking is, you know, a lot of doctors are, uh, they maybe don't have a lot of time or maybe they're just getting into this and like, how do I really explain to the patient? I think this book would be a great tool for your, your practice, your patients, because what it'll do is it'll outline, it'll give you a platform to be successful because I give them the tools and the basics about why is it important and get them excited about it. And my goal is really, I know I can only see so many patients in the clinic. So if this book can re reach other practitioners, other patients and allow them to be more successful. I would be so happy. And I see that as a tool because again, it kind of gives the foundation because often if you have a patient who's been listening or watching or knowing functional medicine, they'll come in and be like, doc, my diet's clean already. I'll do this. And then tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. When you have a patient like that come in, you can help them, right? Because they're so willing and they're so, and so this maybe would, if we talk about soil, would prepare the soil of your patients so that they're ready to change and do that work. Right. And we're going to be sharing your website because you have a great, you have a great referral of different products you say are really good. Like you're talking about the air, the water and all yeah. those things. So they can go there, check those out, see if they're things that they want to invest in because they're investing in their health and their future. So tell them, tell us a little bit about how we can follow you, do more research on you. I know we're going to put the links down below, but is there any Got special it. place you think is best for them to go and, and find your, your newest information? 
Yeah. So jillcarnahan.com is my main website that's been around for decades. And there are loads, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of free articles, free resources, podcasts, episodes, everything. Um, it links to my online store, which is all those resources you mentioned. That's the best place. And then you mentioned social media. I've been coming, I have a love-hate relationship with that, right? But I really feel like it's a powerful way to reach lots of other generations. And so if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just Dr. Jill Carnahan there. I often post like, we'll post this episode and everything else there. And you can find some other little tips and tricks and pearls on Instagram as well. Awesome. So again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to help BrainTap Nation. This is something that hit our family. We live in the South, you know, where, where people with floods and things like that, and people are living in these houses. I know my daughter, I had to get her house checked. She had, she didn't know why she was getting so tired. She's a massage therapist and she couldn't do her four hours of massage every day. She was, but we had her, her home tested. She had mold. Once she got rid of that and started, you know, cleaning out her body. She's back to work and things. So I can't encourage you enough to get on the list to get that, get the book and, and follow Dr. Jill. She's going to teach you some things that, you know, she's out there reading, discovering, get on her blog so you can see what she's reading, discovering. So you can be just like her smiling and happy and, and ready to serve people and have a five plus year waiting room, uh, or, or waiting list practice. So that's great. Again, thanks for taking your time, Dr. Jill. Thank you, Dr. Porter. Always a joy to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Okay. Again, this is, this is share this message with everyone you know, especially people you know that people might be saying they're always complaining. They're always sick. There's nothing wrong with them. Get them this podcast because it might be something as simple, but it's complex. Like she's saying, it might be something as simple as fixing their air in their home, their water they're drinking. It, there's, there's some simple solutions that people overlook, as Dr. Joe was saying. So get this out to everybody. Share it. Like it. Let's, let's, get, let's get as many views as possible on this, and let's start sharing this knowledge and information. Again, each, each and every week, we bring you a business journal podcast. Well, hopefully, it's either to help your practice or to help yourself personally. I think this does both because if your health's better, you're gonna, your wealth is going to improve. And they say that health is wealth. So again, thank you, Dr. Jill. We look forward to seeing you at the next event or having you on as a guest in the future on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much.